asked my dad, how do you know when you fall in love? And he looked at me and he said, puppy love is very real to the puppy. But if you marry out of puppy love, you'll live a dog's life. I walked away going, okay, how do I know if it's puppy love? (laughs) It is hard to explain worship because worship is something that's very personal. It's something that is expressed in a lot of different ways. It is something that is that is very interactive. And it's hard for me to say, you know, okay, if you do A, B, and C, you get D. Math was not my subject in high school and elementary school, we were doing good. But once we went into like higher math, I was like, what? <laughs> We, ch- I ch- we had moved right in the middle of a school year, and I had just started taking a pre-algebra course. And we moved to a new school in a new school district, and they didn't have a pre-algebra class in the eighth grade. They only had Algebra one. So the counselor stuck me mid-semester right in the middle of an algebra class. And the first day I walked in and the teacher handed me this sheet of paper. And she said, fill this out so I'll know where you are. So I looked at the paper and it said, A plus B equals 4C. And I went, looks good to me, true. <laughs> the next one said, N is equal to, and I went, whatever you want it to be, you know. And so I just went down the whole test, true, false, true, maybe, you know, and turned it in. And she went, okay, (laughs) we know where you are. Worship is kind of like that. It would be easy if we could just say, okay, when you come in the back door, if you will put your left foot first, and by the time you get to the third row, you should have your hands in the air, and then, you know, when the music starts, the rhythm will be just right, and then you've entered into worship. But it is not like that. Because you see, worship is an act of the heart. And my heart responds in very different ways than your heart responds. My heart responds to music. That's kind of my heart language. When when I hear music that, like some of the songs we've sung tonight, it's easy for me to open my heart and worship. For some people, it's poetry. For some people, it's sitting down and reading the Word. For some people, it's going out and taking a nature walk. And I just heard we may get snow next weekend. Florida sounds really good. So how do I put this heart into action? Because that's what worship is. It is an act of the heart. Psalms 100 says it like this. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God and it's he who made us and we're his people, the sheep of his pasture. So let me just throw some things out at you tonight and let's talk about this act of worship. Worship is an act of choice. I don't worship because I feel like it. I don't worship because somebody has motivated me to. I don't worship because, you know, it's 7.30 
on Wednesday night, and that's what I'm supposed to be doing. But worship is an act of choice. The scripture says, worship with gladness and come before him with a joyful song. I am not always in a situation of gladness or joyfulness, but yet the scripture tells me that when I come to worship God, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's going on around me, I should come into his courts with gladness, with praise, with joy. Last week, something happened very unexpected, something that really just broke my heart. And I drove home from work, and I thought, God, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to deal with this. I wasn't expecting. This just kind of came out of the blue. I don't know how to respond to this. My heart was broken. And I walked in the house, and everybody's, you know, you know how it is when everybody comes home from work, and everybody's running around, and it's time for me to start supper, but I just went into the library and sat down at the piano and just started praying a song that came to my heart, and I played it, and I sang it over and over and over until the presence of the Lord took the place of that deep hurt that I was feeling at that moment. I just needed to express to the Lord from my heart, I had to make a choice. Am I going to live in this disappointment and this pain that I'm feeling right now? Am I going to try to figure this out on my own? Or God, am I going to turn to you and turn my heart towards worship? Sometimes worship is a pure act of choice. That I come in and I say, God, regardless of what's going on, regardless of what's happening, I'm going to worship you. Worshiping is an act of acknowledging God. The scripture in Psalms 100 says, know that the Lord, he is God and it's he who made us. It's acknowledging God, you are who you say you are. God, I acknowledge that you are the creator of this universe. You're the one that created me. And if you're ever thinking, Lord, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to, I don't know how to worship. I don't know. Everybody talks about, you know, this deep worship. How do I get there, God? You start very simply by saying, God, I acknowledge who you are. And I acknowledge that you are the creator of this universe. And just acknowledging God for who he is. And worship is also an act of surrender. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Sheep don't belong to themselves. Sheep belong to the shepherd. The shepherd tells them where to go. He takes them to a new place, maybe when they don't want to go to, and sometimes he has to prod them along a little bit with that shepherd's staff and say, hey, it's time to move. It's time to go to another place so that, that you can continue to grow. You can continue to uh, prosper. You can continue to be fed. And I'm going to take you over here to this little pasture. Or maybe it's time to leave the green pasture that we really like and it's time to go lay down by the still waters and rest for a little bit. Someone told me several years ago when we were just starting in the ministry, they said, if God ever puts you in a place you feel like you're in a place of holding or you're in a place of you know, rest, Lord, what am I doing? Why am I here? Nothing seems to be happening. She said, enjoy the moment. That just means God's got something coming around the corner and you're going to need to rest up to be ready for it. Worship is an act of my surrender. God, it's not about me. 
It's not about my, what I want. It's not about what I feel. It's about acknowledging you and who you are and worshiping you. This beautiful book that I got this summer that was called Worship Changes Everything, that just kind of stuck in my head. And every time I would think of something and problems that were coming up and things that we were dealing with and facing with Josiah and seeing, Lord, you know, I don't even know how to pray about this. I don't know how, I don't know how to approach you about this. But I kept reading this book and it kept saying over and over, worship changes everything. Worship changes everything. And every time I would come back up against that wall of saying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to go forward with this. I would hear that phrase in my head again, worship changes everything. So these are some things that I pulled out of the book that I just want to share with you. What are some of the things that worship changes? The first thing is worship changes my focus. Worship changes me from focusing on myself and focusing on my problem and my circumstances to focusing on God and His presence and His circumstances. Worship changes the way I look at things from my perspective to God's perspective. Worship also changes the environment. Did you know that? I'm not talking about the grass and the trees outside. I'm talking about around us. Because throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, it talks about our praises ascending to God like a sweet-smelling savor. Now, how many of you have one of those infuser things at your house? Or you've got scentsy candles in the bathroom? Okay, we love our fragrances, and now we've got all kind of essential oils, and I have my husband at home, I set him up with my infuser and my eucalyptus oil, and he just looked at me like, okay, <laughs> thank you, I think. But, you know, you put something into the air, you put something, a fragrance around us, and it changes. Have you ever walked into the kitchen after they fried fish? Three days later, you'd still know they fried fish in that kitchen. The aroma, the atmosphere around us changes. When I walk in, and my sons, don't tell them, Benjamin, have experimented in the kitchen, I want to open the doors. I want to open the windows. I want to get that fragrance out of there and fill it back up with my infuser and my good smelling candles and get that, that comfortable, homey atmosphere back in my home again. When we are worshiping God, you see it changes our environment, that around us from the turmoil and the pressure and the stress. When we start worshiping God, we are sending up those, we're being an infuser and sending up those sweet smelling fragrances. And the scriptures even tell us that that surrounds the throne of God. The sweet-smelling fragrance of our praise and our worship. Worship changes the intimacy of my relationship with God. You see, because I can know about God, and I can sing songs about God, and I can know even about relationship with God, but when I really enter into worship, and just sitting down and talking, and my prayers are very personal. I 
pray and I talk to God just like he was my closest confidant, my, my most intimate friend, the person that I long to be with the most. I just talk to him like he's sitting right there. I've never been really good at, at really big, glorious prayers. We had a, a pastor friend in Georgia that had that voice, you know, and when he talked, he sounded like God had just entered the room. And I would listen to him pray and go, oh, I want to do that. <laughs> we, were, um, we were at the marriage retreat at the, at the shack, and one of the channels that they have on the television there is the Hillsong channel. And so they're all Australians. And Dennis walked in the room, and I was going, Mom, Mom, I'm going to church tonight with my mom. And he said, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm learning to talk like them so I can be really spiritual because Hillsong has really got it together. And I just wish I could talk like that. And he was like, don't do that anymore. <laughs> they just make it sound so good. And he could pray these most beautiful, beautiful prayers in this deep, baritone voice, and it just sounded like God walked in the room, and I come in and sit down at the altar and go, hey, Daddy, it's me again. We need to talk. I have messed up. <laughs> you know? or, or maybe I just don't feel close to you right now, and I feel like you're way off, and I need you to just come and sit down, and we need to talk for a little while. That's the way I pray. And a prayer for me is a constant, ongoing thing. I love to be able to just lock up and spend hours in prayer. I, I, I would love to be able to just go in and shut the door. And I remember days before there were children in the house, you know, Dennis would go to work and, and I could just pray for a couple hours if I wanted to and read my Bible and do my Bible study and, and sit at the piano and play songs. And then four children came into my life. And I said, I went from this, you know, glorious white linen tablecloth banquet to, you know, my fast food prayers of going through the drive-thru going, yeah, I want french fries with that, God. You know, just kind of throw it my way. And uh, I need to just kind of pray on the run here because I've got four little people in my house that are not going to be quiet enough. Or maybe if they are quiet, that's not a good thing for me to spend three hours in prayer. But my relationship with him, as I spend that time whether it's a fast food drive-through or whether it's those hours spent in the Word and in prayer, my relationship gets closer and closer and closer to Him and becomes more and more personal. And just like you recognize the voice of that person that you love, or you can even recognize their walk when you hear them coming down the hall, you know that's your husband. You know that's your wife. You recognize that little walk, and you think, yeah, because I know them, because I've spent time with them, because I know everything about them. And as we spend time with God in worship, maybe in the simplest of words, we grow in that relationship so that we know 
when it's God tapping us on the heart. We know when it's God whispering in our ear. We know when it's God giving us a little nudge and a little direction. We don't have to stop and say, God, is that you? Because we recognize the voice. Worship changes my reflection to the reflection of the heart of God. David was far from perfect, but yet David learned something as a very young boy that he learned to praise and he learned to worship. And out of that heart of praise and worshiping God's, then God himself says of David, that's a man after my heart. Because you see, as we worship God, it changes the mirror of our reflection from the way we see ourselves to the way God sees us. It changes our reflection of what we see in the mirror to God's heart and not our heart. And we put the things into perspective that make that image out of focus. Worship also changes my compassion. Because you see, when I spend time with the Lord, when I spend time in prayer, when maybe it's just sometimes coming in here and sitting in the back and just sitting in His presence and saying, God, I love you. God, I honor you today. Lord, thank you that you put breath in my life one more time. And I pray every day on the way to work. My prayer is, you know the song we sang, Lord, it's your breath. It's your breath in my lips. It's your breath in my lungs. I pray that God help me to use every breath that you've given me, every breath you've breathed into my lungs. Help me to use that today to bring glory and honor to you. And I cannot get up and walk away from that time of prayer, that time of being in the presence of the Lord, without my heart being moved towards compassion, without my heart being sensitive to those around me, without my heart being changed towards people around me that need the Lord. I went to the post, well, I was supposed to go to the post office, and I decided I didn't want to drive all the way to Flat Rock to go to the post office because it was raining, and I knew I'd have to park on the street. How many of you go to the Flat Rock post office? You know, you got to park three blocks down, and you know, and it was raining, and it was like, I don't want to do that. So the gas station close to the house has a new post office in it. Well, it's not new, but it's new for me. So I was like, okay, I'll just run in there, I'll get some stamps, and I'll stamp the envelopes and just mail them right there at the gas station. So I went inside and I had this stack of sisterhood postcards. And I bought the stamps and I'm standing there at the counter and I'm putting stamps on the on the postcards. And the little guy working in the gas station comes over and he says, can I help you? And I was like, no, I got it. And he, because I had like 130 postcards. And I'm like, no, good. And he's like, no, 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 I'll help you. I'll help you. And so he's sticking stamps on the postcards. And he flipped it over and he's reading it. And he says, what is sisterhood? So I told him what sisterhood is. It's our ladies group. We meet every quarter. We share Jesus. We have fun. We sing. We do crazy things like, you know, our fingernails and pampering and making s'mores and, and small groups. And we study. The, and he's going, that is really cool. And he said, you know, we really serve the same God. And I'm thinking, you know, my son... Andrew in the military has like studied 
all the the Eastern religions and Muslim and Islam. And, and so he's always telling me stuff. Okay, mom, now when you talk to people that are Islamic, this is what, you know. And so I'm thinking, oh, Andrew, I wish you were here. <laughs> and he said, you know, we serve the same God. And I said, really? And he's, and I just keep sticking stamps, you know. And I'm thinking, Lord, I don't know where this is going. And he said, what do you think is the biggest difference between Christianity and Islam? And I was like, oh, let me think. (laughs) I said, well, Islam teaches that Jesus was a prophet, right? And he went, yes, it does. And I think he was impressed that I knew that. And I said, well, Christianity teaches that that Jesus is the prophet, not a prophet. And he went, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah. And so we just keep printing. And I said, are you married? And he said, yes. And I said, your wife could come to sisterhood. We would take care of her. And we would just love having her. And he went, I might take her one of these cards. So I'm sorry, somebody did not get a postcard because I ripped your name off of it and handed it to the little guy at the gas station. And he said, he said, do you ever let people like me come to your church? And I went, we love for people like you to come to our church. And I got in the car and I thought, God, I am so glad I didn't go to Flat Rock because I would have missed that moment, and I would have been wet, and I would not be happy like I am right now. (laughs) You see, when you spend time worshiping God, and when you spend time in His Word, and you spend time sometimes reading things about other religions that you may not agree with, or you don't like, or you don't even think, Lord, why am I even reading this and talking about this? And then in a moment, the Holy Spirit puts His finger on your heart and says, this is the conversation we're going to have today. It changes my compassion. Darlene Jack wrote in her book, Worship Changes Everything. Praise is a declaration. It's a victory cry. Proclaiming faith to stand firm in the place God has given you. Praise is a proclamation that the enemy's intent to plunder you will not rock you. Praise declares that you will not be moved by the enemy's attempt to snatch you away. That's out of her book, Worship Changes Everything. Praise is that thing that, now I don't understand mechanical things. I don't understand how cars work. You know, if I put the key in the ignition and it starts, then we are good. If that doesn't happen, then I call Vito. (laughs) It's not working. I'm going to tell one more story. I love my baby sister, but she's as bad as I am when it comes to cars. So she got this new car. She had driven it for a few weeks and came out from work, got in her car, and it wouldn't start. And it was like, oh, no. So she's like, the dealer she got it from is in Atlanta. She's like, 45 minutes from Atlanta, so she calls them. They say, no problem, we'll come get it. You know, can you get a ride home? They came and got her car, 45 minutes there, drove it 45 minutes back to Atlanta. 
She got a ride home. They called her the next morning and said, you can come get your car. And she said, what was wrong with it? And they said, oh, nothing. We just put gas in it. <laughs> I love that. I love it because I didn't do it. <laughs> Praise is the thing that puts the gas in our engine, okay? It is hard sometimes to step into that place of worship, of adoration, of, of the intensity of worship. So where do we start? We start with praise. I'll enter his gates with thanksgiving. I'll enter his courts with praise because praise is kind of the thing that kind of starts it all going. It starts us moving our attention from the four kids in the car in the parking lot that we're not even sure they have the right shoes on their feet and it getting in here and walking in the door and now we're supposed to be worshiping or standing in line at the post office when it's pouring down rain and that's not what we want to be doing. That praise in our heart is what kind of starts generating it. Why do we start sometimes with a fast song and you come in the door and we're full of energy and we're singing and you're like, I did good just to get here. <laughs> we want you to do one thing. We want you to turn your attentions from what happened outside the doors to turning your attention to Christ. And praise is that instrument, praise is that source that kind of generates it like the gasoline in our car so we can get to where we need to be. Timothy chapter 2 says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority. That's a good scripture for the day after elections. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. Now, let me pull something out of that just a little bit. Let's take it apart a little bit. Did he say that you could live life with no problems, with no crisis, with no situations? He said, no, you're going to Live your life in the midst of kingdoms and authorities. And if we're making prayers and petitions and intercessions, like the first part of that verse says, that means there's some things going on that need the prayers and the petitions and the intercessions. And those are all those intense prayers. And God's saying, in the middle of all of that, you can live a life of peace and a life of godliness. And people will ask you, how can you be calm? How can you be settled? How can you not be overreacting in this crisis? And it's because we learn to live in a place of God's focus, God's heart, God's reflection, so that when these things come to our life that we need prayers and petitions and intercessions, that we can walk in that godliness and holiness. Thirdly, worship leaves nothing hidden. You cannot worship God. You cannot come into that place of intimate relationship with Him and interaction with Him and think you're going to have hidden things from Him. Because you see, when we worship, you have to open your heart as wide as you can open and say, Lord, I worship you. I honor you. And it's in those moments sometimes that God will put his finger on a little thing in our heart and say, I love your worship. 
I love your adoration, but let's deal with this. You see, that's the Holy Spirit's job. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He draws us into a place of deeper relationship with God. He draws us into a place of understanding Jesus Christ. He draws us into that place of learning more about God and our relationship with him. And sometimes that means he has to put his finger on that hidden place in our heart that we'd really rather not have to deal with. But as we grow in our relationship, as we grow in worship, then worship causes those things that are unholy and ungodly and keeping us, you know, sin separates us from God. That's what this whole thing is about. You know, Jesus had to come because sin separated us. And even though we are followers of Christ, you know, there are times that we have to go, God, I am sorry. You know, Daddy, I messed up. And he gently puts his finger on that place and says, let's deal with this and let's get it out of the way so that you can really worship, so that you can go to a new level in your worship with God. Isaiah said it like this, I saw the Lord. Can you imagine? I mean, we read that, we sing it, we say it, but can you really imagine? I saw the Lord high and lifted up seated on a throne, and he goes on to describe what he saw, and then he says, woe to me. I cried, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah, the prophet, the one that, you know, this guy had a, had a pipeline to God, and when he is in the presence of God, he says, I'm unclean. I have unholy lips. But the wonderful and the beautiful and the glorious thing about worship is that when we're drawn into God's presence, when we're talking with him, when we're admiring him, when we're honoring him, and he puts his finger on that little thing and says, let's deal with this. And we see our reflection and we say, God, I am unclean. God says, that's why I'm here. That's why my son came. Let's take care of this and make it clean. The beauty of God's forgiveness and his salvation is enough to make us worship for eternity. The psalmist says, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. You see, when we become followers of Christ, and especially when we've been in this for a while, and you know, we're in church, and we're there five minutes early, we're not on time, we're early, because you know, we have guests coming in, and we don't want them to be the first one there, right? Dennis and I were invited to a party one time, and, and we showed up at the right time, and and they weren't ready yet. <laughs> I don't want people to come to our house and get here and we're not ready for them. So get here five minutes early. Okay, that's extra. Don't have to pay for that. Lord, is there anything in me? I want to be in your presence. And it takes a lot to say, God, search me. 
Because wouldn't you rather just come in and go, you know, I got this thing, God. You know, I'm in church. I'm here early. I'm on time. I'm moving bales of hay in the parking lot for Jesus. I mean, how much, how much better can you get? But it takes a lot to come into God's house or to kneel by our bed or go to that favorite chair and sit down with our Bible and say, God, search my heart. Know me. See if there's anything there that doesn't need to be there. And God, make it right. Because I don't want anything between me and God. I don't want anything that when I hit the wall and I turn around and go, God, where did that come from? And he's like, you know, we could have avoided this. We were out in public a few weeks back, a couple of months back, and this family was walking in front of us. And the little boy, probably about four years old, was being a little boy. And you know, little boys don't walk anywhere. They kind of ping, you know. And he's jumping and he's, you know, bouncing. And the pavement is uneven and he hits a spot and goes down on the pavement on both knees. And he is crying and, you know, it's the end of the world now. And his father looked at him and said, how many times have I told you not to do that? How many times have I told you, even since we got out of the car, just, you know, walk. Don't bounce. Don't jump. Just walk. And I'm walking by going, that's not what he needs. He just needs daddy to scoop him up and give him a hug, say, you're going to be okay. Put him down, dust him off, dry his tears, and then go, okay. Now, this is why we don't bounce down the street. (laughs) Sometimes... We run into things because we're doing our own pinging around. We're doing our own bouncing and we lose track of where we're supposed to be focused on and watching for cracks in the sidewalk. But I love it that our Heavenly Father doesn't go, whack, I told you not to bounce down the sidewalk. I told you this was going to happen. He just scoops us up, dusts us off, listens to our tears, and waits for us to say, God, I am sorry. God, I am sorry. I got my attention off of you. Let me read you another excerpt from Darlene's book. This book is called Revealing Jesus. She said, nowhere does that moment become more real to me than in worship. That is when I realized that every fiber of my being, that the maker of heaven and earth has reached down to me. I'm his servant. That's it. That's when I realize how unworthy and powerless I am to experience the magnitude of his sovereignty, power, and might in my own strength. But his grace is abundant toward me each and every moment. His grace goes beyond even when I can't even imagine. We don't understand sovereignty. We don't understand majesty, really. We don't really, we have an understanding of power and what power can do, but we don't really understand what it is to be the source of power. Those are words that we use to express who God is, but 
we, like Paul, just see through a glass so dimly right now. We only understand it a little bit. And we only understand a grace just a little bit. But you see, worship is the very opposite of what we do understand, and that's worry. We are good at worrying. But worship is the opposite of worry. Worship is when we say, God, I realize how small I am, how tiny I am, and how great you are, to the point that I can't even express it in my own words, how great you are. But in my nature, in my own self, in my own reality, I want to worry. When I was driving home the other day and dealing with a difficult situation, I wanted to worry. And then I wanted to fix it. And then I realized I was worrying because I couldn't fix it. Lord, what are you going to do with this? I love the scriptures. Isaiah 30, 15, in repentance and rest is your salvation. And this particular word here wherein it says salvation is not talking about the forgiveness of our sins. It's talking about our rescue. It's really saying in repentance and rest is your rescue, God. And quietness and trust is your strength. Isaiah 40, 25 says, to whom will you compare me? God is saying to Isaiah, who are you going to compare me to? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. So you see, when we are worrying, when we are looking at this situation and saying, you know, oh God, you know, this is bad, you know, fix that, God, you know, we are saying, God, I am comparing you to this crisis. God, I'm trying, I'm putting you on an equal playing field with this crisis in my life that I'm worrying about. And my worry is taking the place of my worship. There's a word. It's a big word. Antithesis. And it simply means this. Antithetical means to set in opposition to. So it's something that is totally opposite from each other. It's worry or worship. Because when I worship, it diminishes my worry. And when I worry, I diminish my worship. Boy, that's a huge concept to get a hold of. You see, in that moment when we want to explode because of the crisis, when we want to explode because of the stress, when we think we're going to implode because of what's happening in our life, that is when God says we need to worship. And sometimes it is, I can't, I can't come in with a joyful heart. I can't come in and sing praises. I have to come in and say, God, I worship you because of who you are. I worship you because you are God. I worship you because you are the creator of this universe. I worship you because you hold everything in your hands. And that's the starting place. And as my worship grows, my worry diminishes. And then the Holy Spirit can speak to my heart and maybe give me some instruction on how to deal with the crisis. 
Patrick Henry used this, this statement. And when you look up in the, the dictionary, the thesaurus, the thesaurus was what I was using, it gave this illustration of what antithetical means. When Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death, you can't have both. You either have liberty or you're dead. There's no, there's no coexisting of the two. So when I worry, I'm saying to God, you can't handle this. Now, we all go there. We all have that mo moment. We all have those things that hit us in the face, and we worry about them. They usually hit me about 2 o'clock in the morning. When, when Andrew was stationed in Iraq, and it seemed like the phone calls, you know, the bad phone calls came at 2 o'clock in the morning, that his Humvee had been blown up, that he had been in a firefight, that, you know, things had not gone well, that... And one night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm going down the stairs because I'm awake and I'm worrying that the phone's going to ring. And I'm worrying because I know he had told us earlier that that day that they were going into a very, very difficult place. And I was, I was going down the stairs. My husband was coming up the stairs and I looked at him and said, we're not doing too good, are we? So we decided maybe it was time for both of us to spend some time on our knees because there is nothing for a mom like that feeling of my children are somewhere and I can't protect them and I can't take care of them and I can't fix them. And having to trust somebody else or even God that he's going to take care of them. And that peace, that strength, that quietness of heart cannot come in the midst of my worry. That comes in the midst of my worship. Worship fills us with the reality of God. And worry empties us of our strength. The beautiful, beautiful thing about worship is it's forever. It is eternal. It is going to go on forever and ever and ever. We read the book of Revelation, and we've been studying it now for months. And I'm telling you, there's some things in there that I'm not even sure I still understand. And there's things in there that are just downright scary. And there are things in there that, you know, I just can't quite get my head around, but there's one thing throughout the book of Revelation that you see. All of this, it says, you know, and this happened, and it came to pass. And the Lord says to an angel, that's enough, you know, step back. Or he says to another angel, you go and do this. Or he releases this or that for a period of time, and then he draws it back. But there's one thing that's eternal, and that is the worship around God's throne. So who's going to be worshiping forever? Revelations chapter 5. And go home and read Revelations chapter 4 and 5. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of worship. Who's worshiping? The angels are worshiping. The very angels in heaven bow down and worship. Revelations 5 tells us that all creation worships. That everything, even the things under the sea, worship. 
And it also tells us that men and women worship. Romans 14, 11 says, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. Who's going to worship? Everyone, everything, every existence. We have a choice. We can worship today because we choose to be in relationship. We can worship today because we choose that act of worship. But there will come a day when those who don't choose to worship, they will bow down. And I'm honestly saying I want to be one of those that I'm worshiping because I choose to. And I'm telling you, as a mom, when my son came off that airplane, and he doesn't like the fuss and the flutter, and he was like, Mom, please don't come to the airport with signs saying welcome home and all that, so what do I do? You know, I went to the airport with signs and balloons and, you know, I'm sorry it's a mom thing. And so but when my soldier came off that plane, I mean, there's a hundred soldiers coming off that plane, but I knew which one mine was when he hit the top step. He came down that, that escalator into the Detroit airport, and I wanted to grab him. You know, that was my little boy. And he was home, and he was safe. That was my soldier that had been out in the battle. And I can only imagine if my heart felt like that when I saw my son. How much more is God's heart when he looks at us and goes, that's my soldier. They've been out in the battle, and they've had my heart in the middle of it, and I've been with them, and I've been there, and we've fought this thing together that he just wants to scoop us up. And in that moment, when we really physically stand in the throne room of God, we are going to understand the level of worship that we just barely taste right now. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? what it's going to be like. I can't wait. There is, a, there is a place and a relationship with God that sometimes we get a little taste of it, and we get to stand and sing, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, because it's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. So let's stand tonight, and let's just do that. We can talk about it, but let's just do it. Let's just, in your own way, I like to lift my hands. The scripture says, lift up your hands. Some people like to kneel. The scripture says, bow before me. Some people like to dance. I don't have a definition of how you're supposed to worship, except that you worship with your heart. And you worship completely. Let's lift our hands. Let's turn our focus. Lord, we worship you. Lord, we honor you not because of what you do, but because of who you are and that you are faithful and true and that you are the God of righteousness, that you are the God who holds in your hand the power and majesty 
of more than just this universe, of all creation. Lord, of the parts of creation that we know nothing about yet, you hold those in the palm of your hand. Oh God, we worship you because you, O oh Lord, are greater than our greatest worry. You, O oh God, are greater than our greatest stress and our greatest conflict. You, O oh God, are more powerful than the most horrible sin that we can imagine. Lord, if you can take a man like Paul and change him into your spokesman, Lord, if you can change him to a man whose heart is gripped with you, then, Father, you can change that person that, Lord, we don't even know if we how to pray for them to come to you anymore. Holy Spirit, thank you that you don't let us go. Thank you that you don't leave us alone. And thank you that when our heart doesn't know how to worship, that the Scripture says, You, Holy Spirit, give us the words to worship. Give us the expression to honor the God of this universe. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son. God, thank you for Him. Lord, thank you for releasing your child to take on our sin. Father, we turn our hearts. We make a conscious act. We take a conscious step toward a heart of worship. Because worshiping you, Lord, changes everything. Amen, amen, and amen. If you remember nothing else, I hope that phrase burns in your heart. Worship changes everything. God bless you. Go with a heart of worship. And may you meet someone in the gas station this week. Amen.